We're going to be in the the book of John, chapter number 7. We're going to start at verse 37. I'm going to read that just in a moment. We've been in a a series on the Gospel of John and just kind of going through it uh, week by week. Vince did an awesome job with the earlier part of this chapter last week uh, with a message uh, that was titled, What Are We Going to Do with Jesus? And just, just the fact that when Jesus comes on the scene, he's a figure that you have to make a decision. What am I going to do with him? If I'm, am I going to believe him? Am I going to reject him? Am I going to follow him? Um, and I'm not going to re-preach his sermon, but I am going to say if you weren't here, you need to listen to it. It's on the website. Um, go check that out. There's, there's elements of that that show up in this passage today, but Today we're going to be talking about Jesus, and if I had a title for the message, it would be The Well of Salvation. I want to say a quick word of prayer right before we uh, jump in. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this time that we're gathered today. Thank you for so many people that uh, have taken time out of a Sunday morning uh, to be here together with your body, with your church Lord, we're here with hearts of gratitude for how much you've changed us, Lord, and yet there's some of us uh, here also with hearts of just weariness and heaviness from the week, um, and the things that have, have just beat us down or the stresses that are happening in our own minds that maybe they're not even spoken out loud yet. Lord, I just pray for a refreshing word from you. God, your word is truth. Your word is life. I pray that you would speak. Speak to us today. Help us to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. Do the work of illuminating the scripture in our hearts and changing us like only you can. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know if you guys knew, on Thursday, Governor Brown and a bunch of legislators um, from California announced particular spending package that they're going to spend one billion dollars, one billion dollars in trying to attack a certain problem. Does anyone know what it was? What? I heard something. Drought. Drought. California is in a drought. We're in the fourth consecutive year of a drought. And it could be, I mean, you guys have heard it if you've listened to the radio or seen the ads on TV, you know, you need to take shorter showers and don't let the water run while you're brushing your teeth. You turn it on afterwards. And if you water your lawn at a certain time of the day, you'll get a $500 fine, which is weird because I don't think any businesses are getting fines. Um, but that's another, I'm not here to talk politics. But we know that we're in a drought. And when you think about it, as a society, as a state, what do you do? I mean, yes, we can spend money and allocate the things that we need to do to get more people so they don't have water shortages, but what do you do when there's no water? How do you make water appear when it's not coming down from the sky? <laughs> How do you solve that issue? And I'm glad you asked that question, but... I'm not here to solve the drought issue. I don't have a solution. Maybe the $1 billion will help. Who knows? But what I am here to talk about is the solution that Jesus came to bring for the drought, for the thirstiness of our own souls, 
for the drought, the wilderness of the human condition. You see, Jesus came, Jesus came to be the answer to the biggest question of our lives. He came to be the solution to the biggest problem in our hearts. He came to save us from sin. He came to satisfy our deepest longings for him because after all, he made us. He made our souls and he knows what will fuel our souls. And he came to be that answer. And so today, I wanna talk about that. He came to turn us from thirsty people into people who are overflowing with living water. And so today we're gonna talk about John 7 and I wanna just focus on Jesus as the well of salvation. And then, um, so the first uh, kind of portion after the text would be just focusing on Jesus as the well of salvation and then after that, how we can draw from the well. How do we draw with joy from the well of salvation? So let's read John chapter seven, verse 37. It'll be on the screen as well. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Glorified there is just a term for him after he died being resurrected and ascending back up to heaven. Jesus had not yet been glorified, so the spirit had not yet been given. Verse 40, and this is where, this little passage is where we kind of see a glimpse of what Vince talked about last week, but on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet, the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from where David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. The people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Part of that is referencing the the, the verses right before where we started reading today, the Pharisees sent, the Pharisees and the chief priests, the religious elite um, from the temple in that day, sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. Um, and so that will kind of play into these next few verses. So some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Verse 45, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does. The guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number. Back in John chapter three, Nicodemus is the one who goes to Jesus at night And Jesus says, you must be born of water and of the spirit if you're gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the next time Nicodemus shows up. 
Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? The message version says, are you campaigning for him too? Look into it. You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is God's word. So I want to focus most of our time on Jesus' claim in the beginning. And for us to really see him as a church and as people here today as the well of salvation, what does that mean? Well, one thing, in order for us to explore what this text can mean to us today, it helps to, to learn as much as what we can about what it meant to them. And, and so on the first verse that we read, it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, what festival is it? It's the festival of tabernacles. Everyone say tabernacles. tabernacles. It's a fun, weird word. Another, another word that they would say is the festival or the feast of booths. Booths, like, like a tent is what they're um, referring to. But Jesus is at a festival that the, the people of Israel celebrated every year, and many of them would come to Jerusalem and and to the temple and be there, and it was a week-long festival. And if you look into what they're celebrating, you just have to read Leviticus 23 in the Old Testament, where where God first instituted these festivals for these people to remember and to celebrate how he had delivered them out of slavery in the land of Egypt. So in Leviticus 23, it explains This is why we're celebrating this Feast of Booths. And here's what it is. He's saying, I want you on this feast to go out and make tents or make booths for yourself and live in them for a week to remember how the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt and and I made you to live in the wilderness before you went into the land of Canaan. So, So before they went into the land of Canaan, they lived in the wilderness for how long? 40 years, right? But God sustained them as a people and they moved here and there and God kept them alive and kept them as a nation in the wilderness without a a land of their own for 40 years. And that's what this feast is celebrating. The fact that God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, made them a free nation, and then provided for them even in the wilderness for 40 years. And so every year at the same time of the year, they would celebrate this feast of booths. But then you can go a little bit deeper. Another part of Israel's story when they were brought out of Egypt and went into the wilderness, there's a story in Exodus 17 where they're not out in the wilderness long before they realize it's a desert. (laughs) And there's no water. We have masses and masses of people and no water to drink. And they begin to grumble and they begin to complain. And they begin to think about Moses, their leader. What, what, what was he thinking? Why did he bring us out? And they actually say to him, why did you bring us out of Egypt so that we could come out here and us and all our children and all our livestock would die of thirst in the wilderness? Why did you do that? You can read the whole story in Exodus 17. And Moses goes to God and he prays and says, Lord, what am I going to do? These people are, it's about to be a mutiny. They're about to get rid of me. 
What do I do? And as you read, God does something miraculous. God does something miraculous. He tells Moses, take the staff that you had when you crossed over on dry land. Take the staff that you had and go over to Mount Horeb and go to the rock that I tell you. And then you take the staff and you strike the rock and water will flow out for the people to drink. Okay. Okay. And as you read the story, this story that's central to the Israelite people and their identity, Moses does what the Lord says, and he strikes the rock, and water flows out and provides for the people to drink. So even though they're in a desert and there's no way to get water, and there's countless people, God still provides water in the middle of a desert. And they live. So this is a a picture of the feast of tabernacles, the feast that Jesus is at. And this feast goes on for seven days, and then there's a closing assembly on the eighth day. And presumably, this is the eighth day because it says it's the last and greatest day of the feast. And one more note that was in my NIV study Bible, so I have to share it. It's really interesting. Part of the way that they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jesus' day was a priest would start at the temple. Wait, I'll start at the temple over here. Yeah, I'm at the temple. And he would have a vessel of gold, not a blue solo cup, but he would have a vessel of gold. And each day of the feast, he would go from the temple and walk out across the city, go to the Pool of Siloam, which shows up in John chapter 9, get some water, come back. Forgive me. He would pour some out, and they would recite Isaiah 12, 3. So that was the first day of the feast. Second day of the feast. Priest goes, gets water, brings it back, pours it out, recites Isaiah 12, 3. Third day of the feast. I'm not going to do it again. But you get the picture, right? Every single day of the feast. Every single day of the feast, they're going to the pool of Siloam, drawing water, coming back, and reciting a verse from Isaiah. And I want to read you that verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 12.3 says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And just a little bit more context, the verse before, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And then verse three, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. When Jesus stands up on the last and the greatest day of the feast, he is making a bold, bold claim. He's not just giving us a quaint little metaphor about how 
we're thirsty and God meets our thirst. Even though that's a beautiful metaphor and it's true, and if that was all he was saying, I could quit preaching right now, but he's saying more than that. He's saying, I'm the well of salvation. I'm the reason you're celebrating that God gave you water in the desert. I'm the same God. The one that you're looking to to save you from your sins, the Messiah that you're looking forward to, I am the well of salvation. I'm the reason the priest is going back and forth and reciting about drawing water from the well of salvation. And he stands up in the middle and says, of that, and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes on me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus was making a bold statement. Some would even say arrogant. Some would even say borderline crazy, but not if it's true. If it's true, he's making one of the most loving, refreshing, encouraging life-giving statements that he can make. And I'm here to tell you today that it is true. It is true. Jesus is the well of salvation for your soul. Jesus is the one who our souls are sin-sick and thirsty in the wilderness without him. Our souls are constantly searching for satisfaction in the things that we can see and touch, in the things that we can plan for and control and manipulate. We're constantly looking for satisfaction. We're constantly looking for something to save us. And I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to remind you today, if you already know it, Jesus is that well of salvation. Jesus is the well that won't run dry. Jesus meets the greatest need of your soul. Jesus is the forgiveness and the healing for a life that's broken by sin. How many are thankful for that? Yeah, I'm thankful for that. Jesus. Jesus is the well of salvation who invites us to come to him and drink. He's a satisfaction for our weary souls that are constantly running to something or from something or at something. He's that satisfaction. So the other day, I was with a couple of my coworkers and they were asking, oh yeah, weekend plans, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm speaking at my church on Sunday. So oh, yeah, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, what's the message going to be on? And so I told them a lot of what I just told you. <laughs> not everything and not as loudly and passionately. <laughs> can imagine a conversation at work. But um, I told them, you know, I told them about the, the priest going back and forth and the boldness of Jesus' claim and talking to two people who I, I don't think believe, not to my knowledge, um, believe in Jesus. And, and there, was, there was some discussion that happened and there was some, well, what do you think the water is? And one of us, oh, well, it's whatever you need that day. Or, 
you know, it was an interesting conversation, but then it wasn't long till one of my coworkers' question was, okay, well, how do we draw the water from the well? How do, you know, let's say Jesus said that, well, how do you draw the water? And uh, I think that is the bottom line, that is the question, and we're getting there. I think we want to wrap up with that, but I think there's another question that could be more important for us to tackle first. Because I know that a lot of people in there are Christians already and know about that well. And I think that question is, why don't we draw from that well more often? Why don't we draw from that well more often? We know that he's our salvation. We've experienced times of him being our satisfaction and our salvation. But we don't always go to him for satisfaction. We know that he's the well that won't run dry, but somehow, I don't know about you guys, but I know me, a lot of times I'm living a thirsty life. I know he saved me. I know he will save me at the last day, but I live as though the things in my life right here and right now are going to save me. How good I am, how well I perform, how much other people think of me. And that is a thirsty, thirsty existence. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I feel like I don't even have to really explain it because we know. (laughs) We know. He's the well of salvation, and yet so often we're living thirsty lives. So... Why don't we draw more often from him? We worship the well of salvation, but often live thirsty lives. It makes me think of uh, back in the summer, I used to play, uh, back in the summer, back in the summers as I was a kid, uh, back in those summers, I used to play a lot of basketball. I know you guys that know me can't think of me playing basketball, but (laughs) Nick is shaking his head. But I used to love it. And I grew up in Arkansas, and it was really hot in the summer, like over 100, triple digits for a lot, for a lot, of, the, for a lot of the days. Um, and we had a basketball goal in my yard, and I would go out and play. And then I would get thirsty, and I would come back in and talk to my mom. You know, I'm thirsty. What do you want? And I'm like, oh, I want a Coke, right? Which in the, in the South, I don't know if you guys know, you can say Coke, and you can mean Dr. Pepper or... Fanta or anything else, it's all Coke. Does anyone know that? Anyways, so yes, a few people know. Anyway, so I want a Coke. And she's like, okay, but it's just going to make you more thirsty. You guys ever heard that? Okay. And I was like, well, I don't care. <laughs> it's going to taste better, right? So I drink my Dr. Pepper and my Coke or whatever, go out and play basketball for a shorter time, come back in. I'm thirsty, right? And what do I get? A Coke, yes. You just, and, and for me, I don't know if you guys are, but me, I would just go back and forth. And by the end of the day, my, my mouth and lips are parched and I'm just, I'm totally exhibiting other signs of dehydration that I won't go into, but <laughs> tired, worn out. But I didn't care because I was going for what I thought would be more satisfying or what I thought would be more exciting, or what I thought would taste better. 
or be better for me. But in the end, it really wasn't better for me. And who knew better than that? My mom did, right? She told me, it's just going to make you more thirsty. I, I feel like sometimes as Christians, we, we do a similar thing with God and we do a similar thing with Jesus in this claim that he's the well of salvation, that he's the one that satisfies our souls, the drought and the thirstiness of our souls. And I think that the group in this passage that shows us best how not to respond to Jesus is the Pharisees. They show us best how not to respond to Jesus, the well of salvation. And, and one of those ways is that, well, there's just two things. We say we already know him. They say they already know him. Oh, Jesus? He's from Galilee. We know where he's from. In the chapter previous, we know his parents. He says, he says that we don't know where he comes from. No, we know his parents. We know he's from Galilee. There's no way. He's, there, no, he's not somebody great. He's not the Messiah. He's not the answer we're looking for. We already know who he is. One commentary I read said that the people who reject Jesus the most are the ones who claim that they already know him. And so even though the Pharisees, if you know this, they were the ones who should have been expecting the Messiah the most, and yet they end up being the one who's rejecting the Messiah the most because they say, I already know him. And what I want is not that. Whatever else over here that I want is gonna be better than what he's offering. And in our lives, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but I have. Oh, I already know what, it's, what praying about this issue is gonna do. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. Or I already know what a devotional time and spending time in the Word with God is going to do. So it's good, but I've got this other thing I've got to do first. Or I already know what it's going to be like to be with my gospel community. I know them. We live in community. I'm not going to give that time. I've got to give that time somewhere else. There's this thing that happens when we say, I already know what God's going to do for me. I already know how he's going to answer my prayer. And we just underestimate the well of salvation that's the source of life. And though we know him and though we've claimed him and though we've worshiped him and though we sing songs about him, we go through each week living as though these other things that we know are going to save us. These other things I'm striving for to succeed, these other things that I'm reaching for once this happens, once I finish this, once I get that next promotion, once this next bump happens, all the while we're pushing Jesus away by saying we already know him. And then the other thing that they do is that when they send people to arrest him, they're trying to control him. And we don't know the motivations. I mean, I can guess. I think because they're the religious elite, they're the ones who people are looking to for what the law means or what does it mean to be saved. They're the ones who are in power. And so my guess is they see Jesus coming and they feel threatened. He's going to take away my power. He's going he's to threaten the little kingdom that I have already going. In the same way, and so what they do is they try, to, they try to control him. They send people to arrest him. And the people that go to arrest him are just like, no one's ever spoken like him. 
But the Pharisees, their, their, their hearts are even hardened more trying to control Jesus. And I think sometimes, I don't know, any of you, are you sometimes afraid of what Jesus might ask of you if you come to him with a situation? You're afraid of what he might change in your life or, or change directions in where you're headed? Or he might take the plans that you have and say, no, we're going to do this. And we've got a little bit of distrust. In reality, what he's telling us is going to be the best thing for us. And it's going to be the best thing for the other people in our lives. They're going to benefit more. But sometimes we run from Jesus and we run from him being the answer because we're afraid of losing that control. Uh, Monday, I... uh, do I have time to tell that story? I do. It'll take short. We're almost done. We've got one last point after this. But Monday, I rolled in to work. Um, I've been commuting recently on a, on a motorcycle, which is kind of a new thing for me. And uh, anyways, I show up to work, and that, that comes into the story. Um, and <laughs> the lady next to me, I didn't even know she was in her car. She like rolls down your, her window and was like, she's sitting in her car, and she's like, oh, thank God you're okay. What? Like, I've only talked to her once. She doesn't even work with me. She's just in the building, works in that building. And um, I'm like, what's going on? She's like, well, there was a motorcycle accident on Friday. And that whole, it was right in front. And we knew the guy that worked with us who rides a bike. He, it wasn't him. And we knew the other guy. He didn't ride his bike that day. And so I just thought it was you. And, uh, and I was just like, wow, that's so sweet that she would think of me and like reminds me to be careful and all this stuff. And but then I go inside, I'm talking to my coworkers, and they're like, yeah, it was this crazy thing. And they start telling me a story, and I'm like, I want to find out what this is. So I look it up on the news, and it was a motorcyclist who was on the interstate up by Del Mar, and he got caught for speeding, and he thought, I'm going to outrun them, right? which is not a good thought. Right? So anyway, so he tries to outrun them, gets on surface streets, come down right in front of our building, loses control, hits a curb, turning left, and at high speed hits a parked Jeep so hard that he injured the people in the Jeep. Compound fractures, both legs, internal injuries. And all of this because he didn't want a speeding ticket. All of this because he was afraid of what they would do to him if they caught him, which really what they would do is make him be safer and cause him to not be a threat to other people around. It would be better for him and better for everyone else. But because of what he was afraid of losing his control, and I guarantee if they caught him for speeding, they weren't going to sit him down and just beat his legs till they broke (laughs) and internal injuries, right? But what he chose, what he chose because he was afraid of that control was way worse than if he would have just submitted to that control. In the same way, I've caught my heart so many times, and maybe you have too, running from, running from Jesus because of what I'm afraid he's going to take from me when he's really just trying to give me not a speeding ticket, but life, life in the truest, realest sense. 
So that's some reasons we don't go to the well more often. We think we already know what he's going to give us, and we try to control him sometimes. But I want to end on this last point of how do we draw living water with joy? How do we draw the water? If he's the well, if he's the salvation, what does that mean for our lives? How can we access that more besides just knowing it, besides just singing it? How can it show up more often? And I'm ending with this, but I just want to, want to end with three things, a phrase, uh, a fact, and a picture. The phrase is, I'm, you guys ready for this? I already started, so you better be ready. It's only three words. I'm thirsty, Lord. Or you could switch it. Lord, I'm thirsty. (laughs) I'm thirsty, Lord. And what do I mean by this? Hopefully this is a handle for you guys. I know it has been for me. Kind of like a few months ago, we talked about asking the question, what's next, Holy Spirit? With this phrase... You see, what Jesus, when we ask the question, well, how do we draw? What does that mean? Do we have to, do we have to act and, and, and do our best? Or, or what is it? Is it rely on us? What is it? And what Jesus says in this scripture, in this passage is, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And you know the best thing we can do in our lives as those who have, have latched on to the well of salvation but still live thirsty lives, the best thing we can do is just take him at his word and say, you know what, if you're in the middle of a situation and you find out, oh, I just repeated this sin that I did this day and this day and this day and this day and I can't seem to be free and it's leaving me thirsty, instead of wallowing in self-pity again, just say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Heal me. Or maybe you catch your heart and you're like, Wow, I'm not letting my identity be in Christ. I'm not going through my day satisfied that he saved me and loves me. I'm going through my day frazzled and stressed out of my mind because if I can't control it and if it doesn't all go according to plan, it's no good. Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, Lord. What I'm going after right now for water is just Coke. It's going to leave me dehydrated. It may taste good for a little bit, but it's going to leave me dehydrated. It's going to leave me worse off. Lord, I'm thirsty. What's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to latch on a hit. What's that? Right. Right, so we're, a lot of times we're rejecting his forgiveness of ourselves. When we can't forgive ourselves, we're saying the cross isn't enough for my sin. Yeah, it was enough for other things, but not for me. And when we see it like that, then we can say, Lord, I'm thirsty. It's a phrase, a fact, and a picture. The fact, the next one. Jesus says, uh, the, the author, John says, right after Jesus gets done saying that, he says, by this he meant the spirit who had not yet been poured out. And later, those who believed in him were to receive the Spirit. Well, the fact today is, and one of the reasons we can draw with joy is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Read the book of Acts chapter number two if you need verification. But the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we can have joy because even though we can't muster up 
this feeling of being satisfied and full, and we still may feel thirsty, we can have joy because the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about in this passage has been poured out and is alive and well today. And if you have put your faith in him, Jesus says that you are filled, that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and that it will be like a river flowing out. It turns us from, the Holy Spirit today turns us from being thirsty people to people overflowing with living water. And so if, if you're not feeling that or experiencing that and you don't know that to be true in your life, I encourage you as we gather with communion, gather with someone and just pray to God, Lord, I'm thirsty. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. And we can have joy today because it has been poured out. Part of the reason there's so much controversy here is the people that Jesus is talking to don't even know what he's talking about. But we have the pleasure and the joy today of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, just like we talked about the rock in the wilderness at Mount Horeb that Moses struck and water came out miraculously and provided for the people so that they didn't die, but they lived. Christ is that rock for us. If I could leave you with a picture, Christ is the rock that was struck and beaten and whipped and bloodied for our sake on the cross. And in John chapter 19, this same book, when he's been on the cross and he hangs his head and he's died for our sins and he says, it is finished. And they go to check that the, the people, the, the three are dead, the people that have been crucified. They break the legs on his left and his right and they come to Jesus and he's already dead and they take a spear and they thrust it into his side and what happens? The eyewitnesses say it was an instant sudden flow of blood and water from his side. Another picture that Jesus gives us that he was the rock that was struck on behalf of our sins so that we could have living water to satisfy our soul's greatest need, to forgive us and heal us from our sin, to satisfy those desires that we have that we don't even know they're for God himself because he made our souls. His heart was pierced and crushed so that we could have living water today. And so you can have joy today because he took on, for as many times as you have known that he's the well of salvation but haven't asked him, he's already paid for that. He's the living water for us today. He's the living water for us today. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm done. If you guys would stand with me, I'm going to pray. We'll have a time of communion. And, uh, and when we do gather for communion, um, if you guys would you know, come and gather with gospel communities, if you're a guest today and, and you're a believer, you believe in Christ, you're, you're, um, come up and have communion with us. We welcome you. If you're a guest and you don't believe, come up and join in with a group and just see how... Um, people are 
um, praying and, and, and talking about the gospel and, and listen in. You don't have to partake in communion, but just listen in um, and, and hear what's going on in the hearts and lives of other people. And um, I'm just gonna say a word of prayer to close us out. Father, thank you so much for your word, Jesus. Thank you that you, Lord, are a well of salvation, God, that, that even though that passage was written centuries before Jesus, you were born. God, that you are the source of it all, God, that you are the reason they were celebrating that day and you are the reason that we can celebrate today. God, I pray for those that are here who know you as the one who saves us, who know you as the source of living water. I pray that uh, they would not be condemned today, but that they would be encouraged, Lord, that we can come to you at any time of the day, in any situation, and just say, Lord, I'm thirsty. And we will begin to see you answer and quench that thirst and turn that, that lack into a spring and a river flowing out of us, Lord. I believe that today. I believe that today for individuals. I believe that for our church, God. That we would live more and more as thirsty souls who are coming to draw from the well, Lord, and that we would begin to see, Lord, that you are meeting our deepest needs. Lord, that you're not trying to, to threaten us or make things worse for us, God. And that we don't already know how you're gonna answer Lord, but that you are God, you are our source. We trust in you. And if there are people here today who have not known you and have not come to you to drink, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be, would be convicted and changed and challenged to come to you today, to just come to you and, and to drink, to partake of who you are, to believe on your name and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for today. Encourage us through the week. We cling to you as our well of salvation. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are welcome to take communion.